Hi, everyone, and welcome to the August 5th edition of Colorado Inside Out. It is a new month, and it's great to see all of you. I am Kyle Dyer, and I'm your guest host for this week's Colorado Inside Out. August used to be considered a slow news month, but I don't think we really have slow news days anymore. Our first topic, the primary elections that took place in five states earlier this week, including our neighbor to the east, Kansas, where there was high voter turnout to protect abortion rights. Kansas voters decided against removing the right to abortion from the state constitution. The defeat of the ballot referendum comes weeks after the Supreme Court ruled to overturn Roe versus Wade, the 1973 decision that previously guaranteed a national right to abortion. In our leadoff chair today is Eric Sonderman. Eric is a columnist for both Colorado Politics and the Gazette. Eric, this was a surprise. It was a surprise. I'm not sure the outcome was a surprise. The margin was certainly a surprise. It's good to be here, Kyle, and good to have you in this Thanks. chair. Uh, I hope that's more regular. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, out, uh, the, the margin was a surprise. I keep flashing back, it's maybe 20 years ago, there was a book that got a lot of circulation, particularly on the political left, called What's the Matter with Kansas? And that thesis was, why aren't Kansas voters voting their economic interests, which people posited was more de aligned with Democrats instead of voting their social interests? Well, that book title seemed to got be flipped on the head the other night uh, as this was the first referendum on, on the abortion issue we've had since the Dobbs decision. And this was not California, this was not New, New York, and it was not even Colorado. This was Kansas. It's a deep red state. It's a state Donald Trump won by 18 points uh, a couple of years ago. And yet, they sent a warning shot out, to my thinking, to the rest of the country, which is we can have debates over choice, over reproductive choice um, and, and, and uh, rights to abortion, but we need to have those debates within certain lines. And if you have a blanket measure on the ballot to take away the right to a choice, even in a deep red state, it is going to fare poorly. And I think this is a warning sign to a whole lot of Republican strategists around the country that maybe 2022 is not going to be the cakewalk they thought it was, and that this is an issue that has ramifications and it has legs, and in this case, it had a major pushback. Let's ask the guy sitting next to you if Sage Nauman with us as well. Sage is a conservative commentator and activist, and he's also the former spokesperson for the Colorado Senate Republicans. So, Sage, is this an eye-opener to the Republican Party? Of course it is. I mean, anytime you lose a ballot measure by the margin that Eric was talking about, it should be an eye-opener. It should be cause for inflection. Um, you know, here in Colorado, I think the reaction has been relatively uh, muted when it comes to Republicans because uh, there has been an effort with legislation leaders and the leader of the state party to focus on issues that really matter to Coloradans, such as the economy, such as crime, such as education. So I think that for the most part, Republicans go, well, that's interesting. We should, you know, that's, those are fascinating results, but pivoting back to the issues that they think, you know, are winners. That being said, this is an issue that's not going away. This is going to be something that we're going to be talking about for years. I mean, we've been talking about it the last 50 years intensively. Um, I think that you look at 
governors like you know Glenn Youngkin, DeSantis, what they're proposing in their states, they're trying very hard to find a middle ground and move forward very quickly. Mm -hmm. So they both proposed 15-week bans, um, which you know if you look at, for example, the rest of Europe, there's only three countries in Europe that have a more permissive abortion law than 15 weeks. The vast majority of them say 12 weeks, 14 weeks, etc. So it's hard to gauge where the public's going to land here because we're just in the aftermath of the Roe decision. But I think that those policies are going to be the effective roadmap for Republicans moving forward. And it'll be interesting to see how other states respond, especially in the light of Kansas. Mm -hmm. um, Justine Sandoval is also joining us today. Justine is an emerging, emerging voice in Colorado politics and former chair of the Colorado and Denver Young Democrats. Justine, d the Democratic turnout in Kansas was like 60% more than the last primary they had a couple, you know, last time around. The turnout was something. Yes, definitely. Um, you know, I've spent almost a decade here in Colorado working on abortion rights and have two um, anti-abortion ballot measures that I've worked on that were defeated here in Colorado. We know here in Colorado that when those types of ballot measures are um, are being ran, that it turns out voters. So I think right now, for years, um, the Democratic Party, there are a lot of people who were very complacent with the idea that Roe would not be overturned. And I think now the reality is that now we've seen a post-Roe world that they can't take that for granted. So I think that there was definitely a fire under a lot of Democrats in Kansas to get out and not um, skip the primary this year to make sure they're voting on these things. But, you know, across the board, abortion is an issue that will get people out um, in in 2014, NARAL Pro-Choice America did a poll nationally that showed 7 in 10 people in the country um, support the right to access an abortion. And that's in the reddest parts of Kansas and the bluest parts of New York. That's true. So um, I'm excited to see that people came out um, to defeat that ballot measure there. And I'm excited to see that Democrats are showing up to the polls and hopefully that, you know, translates to the polls in November. Mm -hmm. Penfield Tate is also joining us today. He's a Denver lawyer and also a former member of both the Colorado House and Senate. Penfield, you know, Sage was talking, there's inflation, gas prices, affordability. But I think the there was so much energy around this decision. And I, it, it, it seems like there are people par probably voting, not necessarily with their party lines. They're, this is an issue where people vote from their heart and what they think. And, and, and it's a very private decision. It's a very private decision. And, and you know, the ballot measure was a, really a major misstep, misstep by, by Republicans in Kansas. Um, it, there are a couple things to consider to put in context, Kyle. Context, um, number one, I think the Dobbs decision is probably the first time the U.S. Supreme Court revoked or took back something that had previously been established as a constitutional right, that doesn't sit well with a lot of people. And particularly on an issue where pretty much regardless of party affiliation, somewhere between 65 to 70 percent of Americans sort of figure, you know, that's a woman's right to choose. It's a woman's right, a family decision. Government's got no it, it got no real role here. When I served in the legislature, even the most conservative Republicans didn't want to get into this issue because they felt that's a social issue. It's something that should be left to the family. We don't need to legislate against it. And I think what Kansas did was a misstep. To Sage's point, it'll be interesting what some of these other Republicans are trying to do with these half measures to try to align themselves with the Dobbs decision and try to restrict choice, but not appear to be too extreme. I think those efforts may backfire as well. Okay.
And here in Colorado, voters head back to the polls November the 8th. This coming Monday is the deadline for signature gathering. For any initiative to make the ballot, proponents have to submit more than 124,000 signatures. Sage, the group behind an affordable housing initiative, just announced that they have enough signatures to get this Initiative 108 on the ballot. And we're all waiting for these taxpayer um, Bill of Rights refunds in the mail. And this calls for some of that money to be dipped into to pay for affordable housing. Yeah, definitely. I, the, you know, this this initiative, while it does dip into Tabor refunds, you know, I think it, it needs to be part of a broader discussion on affordable housing. Obviously, it's something that we've been debating for a number of years. But, you know, we've seen in just the last three years, the median home price in Colorado has increased $200,000. And the fact is, is that there is a little bit of... Uh, contradiction in regards to what those on the left are doing in the state legislature and what they're putting on the ballot. We've seen multiple bills, for example, we saw House Bill 1362 just, just a year ago that was passed that implemented what are considered green building codes for more you know, efficient air conditioning units and heaters and things like that, moving away from natural gas. And you know, they've looked at they've looked at that bill and said that this could increase the house the cost of building a new house to six to twenty thousand dollars per dwelling unit. And that's important because when we're talking about how do we make houses more affordable, I mean, this initiative basically creates a fund to explore ways to build new homes, you know, down payment uh, assistance, things like that. And at the same time, we have the legislature passing laws that are making building of homes more expensive. Mm -hmm. So I think that at the end of the day, any kind of effort in regards to affordable housing that doesn't recognize that local and state governments have played a big role in increasing those prices is doomed to fail. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that initiative passes. It's, it's a lot better written than a lot of others that we've seen. But at the, what I would be surprised about is that if it actually affected home prices in the mm. state. That'll be interesting. Yeah. All right, um, Justine, I was mentioning that you know the refund letter, the refunds that are coming, and there's a letter in in those envelopes. I don't, I haven't gotten mine. Have you guys yet? No, but a letter from the governor um, telling us why we're getting this money, and it's interesting that he has added that into this. Yes. Well, I'll be very cautious of how I answer this because I am a Democrat and we are in an election year. But I will say when politicians have sent letters out with refunds and food boxes in the past, it was pretty cringy to me then. And so I don't think this is the best look. It's not the best optics to go with it. One thing I did really appreciate about the letter, though, um, from what I've seen, is there is an explanation to why you're receiving these refunds. And this was a refund that was going to come regardless. I'm not going to question the governor's mm -hmm. motives of why these refunds came out early. But I think that the bigger issue here is most Coloradans, I would say, do not understand the battle of Tabor. Um, and most people even in policy have a hard time going back and really understanding all the nuances of Colorado's tax code. So I would like to see us as a state and our governor make more of an effort to make sure that we're doing more civic engagement and engagement around how Tabor works, what Tabor is, why people like it, why they don't, so that we can have a more robust conversation on how we um, have a better tax policy across the board for all Coloradans. So Justine calls it cringy. <laughs> the Republican Party and Heidi Ganahl are beyond cringy with this. Sure, and, and they need to be. They need to react in some way because, quite frankly, they fumbled the announcement of, of her, her running mate um, for lieutenant governor. Um, uh, you know, as others have said here at the table, we have an affordable housing crisis in this state and in this country. There's no getting around that. I'm not convinced this measure is the necessarily the answer, but we're going to see a bunch of ideas like this. But uh, to, 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 to the, the prior point, 
we need to keep this in context. Everyone needs to remember, we have so many new people of the state. Tabor is not gospel. It was passed in 1992. And prior to that, the legislature did something very bizarre. When we had a lot of money, they reduced tax rates. When we were struggling, they increased tax rates. We actually gave our elected officials the ability to move tax rates back and forth based upon the needs that people felt they wanted government to address. And so revenues were adjusted in that way. Tabor changed all of this because it put restrictions in the Constitution. So you now have to run measures like this in order to modify what Tabor has put in place. So I was opposed to Tabor when it started, which, by the way, it was passed when Republicans controlled both the House and the Senate. So it wasn't reaction to tax and spend Democrats. Republicans ran the budget at that time in Colorado. Um, and we need to revisit a host of things that have hamstrung our ability as a state to be fiscally responsible and reactive and, re and, and responsive to the times. One election we think is settled is the Tina Peters case. Eric? Oh, no. In Tina's mind, it will never be settled. Uh, I have seen fleece jobs. I've seen con jobs over my years. I've never seen anything quite this bold where she took over $500,000 from individual donors, gullible people all, obviously, uh, to pursue this recount, which resulted in a net change of approximately zero votes. She gained 13 votes. Her main opponent, Pam Anderson, gained 13 votes. She still is behind by 88,579 votes. This was not a close race. This was a blowout, landslide. Pick whatever word you want to use. And yet, I guess her self-esteem just can't take the idea that she lost. Maybe she needs a participation trophy and a little bit of a blanket. Uh, and just real quickly on the refund letter, you know, Justine, as a good, loyal Democrat, didn't want to be terribly critical of Jared Polis. I'll step into that role. The cynicism behind this whole thing is amazing. Uh, the, the timing of it, the, the way Polis is trying to grab credit, the lack of any reference to Tabor, which mandates the refunds. It's the topic of my column. I'll tease my own column that's coming out this weekend. It's the topic of my next, next column. Polis has a bunch of political talents, but one is he's able to keep a very straight face when you know inside he's chuckling. All right, our third topic. We're talking about Denver, specifically DPS, uh, which has paid more than $2 million to settle allegations regarding its misuse of AmeriCorps funds. AmeriCorps is a federally funded network of national services programs. And to receive an AmeriCorps education award, you must complete a certain number of service hours, among other requirements. The United States alleges that for the grant years 2015 and 16, DPS falsely certified that a significant portion of DPS members had put in the necessary hours when they really hadn't. Justine, this does not look good for DPS. Oh, <laughs> another one of these diplomatic questions. I'm a very proud DPS graduate, so I'll start with that. Okay. North High Vikings all the way. Um, but every time DPS is in the headlines, it makes my head spin, especially when it comes to these financial issues. Um, I think the big issue here was um, that this money that was coming in was depriving at-risk students from having additional outside resources that could benefit them. Um, I believe that, you know, they were 
uh, allocating this money to teachers who are already in DPS. Um, I believe that we should be paying our teachers a lot more, but I also think that we should be more responsible with these different streams of revenue um, so that all of our students are getting the most out of their education in DPS. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of mismanagement of funding I've seen go on throughout the years in DPS, and this is just another example of something that's, you know, costing them now $2.1 million and ultimately impacting our children. It's a lot. In Penfield, the government claims that DPS recruited existing employees to do jobs that they were already doing as employees, and they weren't service jobs. It's a mess. I, I, I mean, the... We have often said at this table, I think the consensus is RTD is the, the worst-run governmental entity in the state. DPS is probably a close second. Um, and, and I feel badly for the, the superintendent because he's new. All of this happened before he got here, and he's inherited a mess. But it's going to be a test and, and actually a good example of leadership to see how he cleans this up. We know that he's going to have to fire somebody. We don't know who. We know that he that well they've got to pay back the money, and then he's got to realign the budget in light of the fact that they're losing this money that they have to refund to the feds, and then determine how they change and reorient their operations so that someday they can qualify for this funding again. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, because the program is good, it's useful, it's beneficial. It should have helped put some kids and others to work that could have benefited from it. Uh, somebody just cut corners, and I don't know, it sounds like it borders on fraud, and yeah. maybe that's why they're being forced to disgorge money. Yeah, good point about the new superintendent. He has a lot to do with this budget, and you know when they start the 23rd of August, there's going to be the talk we need more money in the budget for to keep our schools cold, you know, cool, you know, when it's so hot out. Of course, I'm glad I'm not in a non-air-conditioned classroom uh, two weeks from now. I mean, I, uh, there are going to be few issues that I think you can get all four of us around this table from divergent political viewpoints yeah. to agree. But the fact that DPS is a mess is certainly one of those issues. Mm -hmm. To Penfield's comment, it's not only that it's a mess, but it seems to be getting worse instead of getting better. This $2.1 million settlement with the feds, to my mind, yes, it's awful, but it's the least of it. You have a completely dysfunctional board of a school board there. And it's not dysfunctional because of internal disagreements about policy. It's rather monolithic in terms of their philosophy and their policy, but it's just internal dysfunction. They don't get along with each other. Uh, I referenced blankies in my last comment. Maybe they need blankies as well, um, but they, you know, they can't even agree how to refer to each other by whether to call each other by first name or you know, by, by some kind of formal title or whatever. So you have a dysfunctional school board, and then the new superintendent just put out his strategic plan. And I have to say, Kyle, I found it rather lacking. There is as much talk in that plan about justice and social justice all of which are worthy goals, but there's as much talk about that as there is about education. Mm -hmm. And last I looked, Denver Public Schools was first and foremost in the education business. Last year we had 5% of DPS third graders who are black or brown reading at grade level. Repeat, 5%. I think I would like a little bit of focus on education and maybe let the social justice go to some other entities. So Sage, you have an eight-month-old. You don't have to worry about this just yet, and you don't live in DPS. But at looking from as a parent, right. yeah. So un un unfortunately, I was gonna you know perhaps be a little contrarian here because you said everyone agrees, and I was gonna find a way to defend DPS, <laughs> and I don't think it's possible. But you know, uh, you, you, I, 
what you talked about in regards to education being, I mean, quite frankly, anytime you Google Denver Public Schools, the headlines are exactly the same. Something has gone wrong somewhere. Either, you know, school board squabbles, things like this. And quite frankly, what ends up getting the little blip on Chalkbeat or whatever on the news outlet is their test scores. I mean, 64% of Denver students right now are not reading or doing or writing at grade level. Um, and that number goes to 78% in math. And as Eric pointed out, that's even worse for black and brown students, worse for impoverished students. Um, education, our education system should be the great equalizer. It should be the opportunity for all kids, regardless of their income level, regardless of their background, to have a chance at a successful life. It's supposed to give them the critical thinking skills and the foundational knowledge so that they can achieve more than the generations before them. And Denver Public Schools has absolutely failed at doing that. And every time we talk about these things, and they're very important. I mean, we're talking about $2 million here, but these are, these are almost distractions, unintentional ones at that. But every time we spend talking, every minute we spend talking about the drama on the school board, issues like this, it's time that we're not talking about how in the heck we can get these kids to read, write, and do math at grade level. And that is, I, I think, it's a failure of our, our education system, not just in DPS, but unfortunately it has become the prime example of our educational system failures. <sighs> yes. Um, all right, we're in the fourth quarter of the show right now. So let's talk about some football, shall we? Why not? Broncos training camp is going strong. Lots of fans are coming out every day. We've had some injuries already, but we have Russell Wilson. So all's good, right? And next week, the new ownership is expected to take effect. NFL owners will vote on Rob Walton's $4.65 billion purchase of the Broncos. This is a formality. The deal is already happening and starting a new era in Broncos country. So Penfield, when this deal goes through, it will set a record for the most money paid for an American sports franchise. Right. Into the next sports franchise. Yeah, right. So, and it'll set a new record. <laughs> no, I, you know, and, 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 and it's, it's really interesting and amazing how the, the fate of the Broncos really controls the vibe and the feel of, of our community here. Uh, but it's important. I, I, I mean, I'm a longtime Bronco season ticket holder. I'm pleased with the new ownership group. Um, I thought the Boland family was nice, but they became dysfunctional to the extreme. Um, we've got a new coach who is going to be a massive improvement over the last one. And we finally have a quarterback who can complete a pass. Um, and so I think there's reason for optimism. Yeah, the injuries are going to happen. Um, and, and the people you see out on the practice field now are not going to be the final squad necessarily. But um, everybody's spirits have kind of uplifted because... It's, it's time to be optimistic. For many years since we won the last Super Bowl, it was kind of depressing this time mm -hmm. of year. But now we're all thinking that things, they can't get much worse. So yeah. it's time for them to get better. New energy. Do you think they're going to be a new stadium someday? Our 20-year-old stadium, you know? Yeah, I mean, when 20-year-old stadiums are regarded as relics and antiquated, you know there's a problem with our public values. I mm -hmm. mean, that stadium certainly looks sufficient to me. If new ownership, if they can afford $4.65 and they want to add a new stadium on top of it, what they do with private dollars, God bless them, but don't ask me for tax dollars and don't mm -hmm. ask me for tax credits. Mm -hmm. uh, the latter probably being where this is uh, going. R real quick, we now have three of our four professional sports franchises owned by Walton family members, Walton heirs. And one can only hope that that goes to four out of four because Lord knows the, we could do, use better ownership of the Colorado Rockies. So anytime a Walton heir wants to step forward and, and, and buy the Rockies, uh, that would be fine with me. I hope the new owners put a little bit of money towards CTE research because uh, those players, their employees, are paying an awful price for our viewing pleasure. 
And uh, I think that has to be part of the equation whenever you talk about professional football. Mm -hmm. You uh, have a son, big football fan in your house. Yes, most Does this certainly. bring more energy? And especially, I think, not only for Denver, but if this goes for our region. People are excited about this yeah, deal going down. Definitely. I mean, I think that, you know, going back to the senator's comments on a new quarterback, new coach, new ownership, mm -hmm. I mean, this is a new era of Broncos football. I mean, this is this is the team of Elway, Manning, Gratishar, Little, Little, and, and quite frankly, they people expect to win. They expect they, they expect to have a winning team. Um, so I think that obviously, you know, uh, everyone's optimistic. Uh, give it a few months. We get into the season, and if we start losing, all of a sudden everyone's going to be saying, "Oh, I yeah. told you so." You know. Um, but no, I mean, quite frankly, I think that they're, they're going to bring a winning culture here. Uh, I think the Waltons are, you know, very committed to the community, which is important. Um, and I, you know, I I'm I'm hopeful we're going to have great partners here um, because. Lord knows people want a great football team that they can go watch and get behind. So I think everyone's excited. Yeah. And Justine, did you hear that we have another minority owner who's this uh, Formula One champion, um, Sir Lewis Hamilton. Yes, Sir Lewis Hamilton. I'm not a race person, but I've researched this guy. He's got a lot of money. And the thing yeah. that he's international, this brings international attention to our team. This is kind of a big deal. I mean, the Europeans love American football. Yes, I'm always excited to see diversity and ownership, especially with NFL teams. Um, you know, I'm a fifth-generation Coloradan, so football here, Broncos games are treated like a major holiday every single game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my family gets together, and we celebrate, and we always find ourselves, you know, celebrating the Broncos every year. I think that American football, um, you know, is definitely a tradition here in Colorado, and it'll be exciting to see the team move forward. Hopefully we'll have a very good season, and, um, you know, I will grow our popularity maybe internationally in football. I know they try every year, yeah. and they do the overseas games. Yeah. It doesn't quite hit as well with the rest of the world as it yeah. does for us yeah. Americans, um, but we will definitely be rooting for the Broncos, and I feel optimistic for this yes. upcoming no season. Yes, no one's wearing orange today. <laughs> um, so we're all happy now, but we have to go around and talk about our disgrace of the week. I think we have to do it quickly. I'll try to go quickly. Alex Jones, InfoWars, jury verdict yesterday, $4.1 million. There's probably more money to come to question and attack parents who have lost their kids in a school shooting. I just don't know how it gets lower than that. Mm -hmm. Peter Meyer, congressman from Michigan, lost hit the nomination for Republicans. Uh, freshman congressman, one of the 10 that voted to impeach Donald Trump. There's egg on everyone's face here. Not only did they go with a candidate who was more likely to lose the general election, but Democrats also spent half a million dollars to get him across the finish line as well because they view him as a, a um, you know, an easier person to beat. Um, I think that this is the cynicism that people hate in politics. Just Disgrace is always a strong word, so my disappointment of the week. Okay. Um, the moving of the food trucks in Lodo. While I understand, you know, there are efforts that need to be made to curb the violence that's going on, I feel like this was a knee-jerk reaction to try to find a solution. When we know that there are other solutions, I listened to the testimony from a lot of the food truck owners this week in city council, and, you know, this puts a burden on them and being able to, you know, make money and run their business. I worked in the bar industry in my 20s, and Denver, and I know one of the solutions we should be looking at is, you know, ending drinking earlier, extending closing times so we're not sending hordes of people out into the streets drunk mm -hmm. at 2 a.m., mm -hmm. and, you know, making sure that there are food resources around at the end of the night, not only for people leaving the bar, but for employees who are hungry and don't have a lot of options at the end of the night, too. You're right. 
Um, Louisville Police Department for the murder of Breonna Taylor, and it's unfortunate that it took the Department of Justice to bring a civil rights um, action against them um, for their botched execution of a search warrant. Lightning round for happy things this week. Speaker Nancy Pelosi, I always haven't um, sung her praises, but courage to her for going to Taiwan. Uh, speaking truth to power is not to be underrated. Did you steal my notes? Because that's exactly what I was going to say as well. Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan, I think standing with Taiwan and against China, a bully, um, is the right thing to do. And I'm glad she didn't back down. All right, Justine. Uh, I just want to give a shout out. What made me smile this week was Colorado's 146th birthday. Uh, mm -hmm. Proud Colorado. My family's been here many generations. But it was really nice, especially on social media, to see everyone's yeah. nostalgic hike pictures, their pictures at the state line when they first moved here. So lots right. of joy that's good. celebrating our state. I like all of those. I wasn't here last week, so I still um, remember fondly Bill Russell, a wonderful man, a champion, a giant, a trailblazer, first black in, in NBA coach while he was a player, and a civil rights activist. He will be greatly missed. All right. Thank you all. Uh, that is all the time we have. Thank you, panelists, for joining us today. And thanks for everyone who is watching at home. If you have any thoughts or comments, please let us know, because this is a show and a conversation for you, for all of Colorado. So we would love to hear from you. And if you'd like to share something that you learn on the show with a friend or maybe rewatch a particular segment, we'll have the show for you to check out on PBS12.org or PBS12's YouTube channel. I'm Kyle Dyer, and thanks for watching Colorado Inside Out. Thank you.